From hook and bullet to policy and science, we're here to discuss and dissect all matters of importance to Montana's rugged landscape and the people and wildlife that call it home. This is Montana Untamed. In 2022, a male wolf that was captured and fitted with a GPS collar south of Dillon decided to take a long hike through some of Montana's most spectacular wild country. If the wolf had hitchhiked a ride in an automobile, the distance covered is close to 300 miles. But those miles don't reflect the elevation gains and losses of climbing up and over the mountain ranges. They also don't tally the rivers that course through the landscape, including the Madison, Gallatin, Yellowstone, and Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone. Unfortunately, we only know all of this because the wolf made a decision that proved fatal. With me today is Brett French, outdoors editor for the Billings Gazette newspaper, to tell the story of this lone wolf's trek. Brett, to start, um, who who is this wolf? Yeah, it's about a four to five year old male that came from the Antone Pack, which uh, roams about 225 square miles over in the Dillon region. It was first captured back in 2020 when Fish, Wildlife, and Parks was doing a, a livestock conflict study in the area. It was uh, one to two years old back then, 90-pound male, uh, pretty average size, and was captured again south of Dillon uh, a couple of years later and and checked on again. And shortly thereafter, that's when he went on his extensive walkabout. The Antone Pack's not a real large pack, uh, one of the ones that has expanded out from Yellowstone National Park, likely. And before we get into this specific wolf's um, excursion, what, what do we know about normal dispersal distance for wolves? Um, and and then why, why do they disperse? Yeah, so like you said, uh, 300 miles by car, this wolf would have traveled if he hitchhiked a ride. And that's not unusual for them to walk that far. Um, bigger ones have uh, been recorded going 2,400 miles round trip. Uh, one wolf hiked uh, over to Oregon and back. Uh, wolves have dispersed from the Bob Marshall to the Boise area. They've gone uh, from Canada into Montana and back and forth and even from the Paradise Valley as far south as Colorado where they've bred. And they'll move around for different reasons. Sometimes it's like a young male will move out to uh, find another pack where it can breed, especially if it's not the uh, alpha male. It'll go on a walk looking for another pack. Um, Sometimes it's food resources they're looking for. Um, Sometimes they just take a walk and it seems they just keep going they end up in eastern montana uh they've been seen as far east you know as that mile city area i don't think very many of them survive out there (laughs) the it's pretty much a shovel and shut up and after they've been shot situation i think in eastern montana so that's one reason why this one's kind of unusual that it made it this far east without uh, getting into any trouble um, yeah, I mean, and, and we'll get to, we'll get to what ha- eventually happened to this wolf. Um, so it sounds to me like, you know, dispersal, uh, you know, for predators is kind of in their DNA. They're kind of built to, you know, and especially 
male um, predators, they kind of go out searching for new country, um, sometimes because they're pushed out of a territory, but also sometimes just because of this sense of discovery and looking for what else is out there. Is that a correct understanding? Yeah, right. We see that a lot with the young grizzly bears. You know, they get kicked off from their mom at two years old, and so they'll go walking around looking for new territory, and a lot of them end up on that Rocky Mountain front, you know, and have migrated down south into as far as the Snowies, we've we've recently learned. And, uh, yeah, it's, they're looking to set up their own homeland, you know, just like uh, humans do. They leave the house and look for a, a new place to put down their roots. And if they can make it across the highways and uh, ranches without getting into trouble, it's it's always a pretty amazing journey to see them go so far. So now let's get into um, this specific wolf's trek. Um, you know, where did he start? I think you've already kind of touched on that in that Dillon area that where he seemed to have spent the, the beginning part of his life kind of in that area. But then he took off. And what sort of country can you just kind of give people that picture of the trail that this wolf led? Yeah, that is what I think is um, the amazing part of this story, just that he could go so far and be in such wild country, and uh, and it's mostly in Montana that he journeyed. So starting out in Dillon, you know, you've got some really cool country there with the uh, gravelies and the Ruby Mountains and that territory. Um, you cross over into the Madison Valley. You've got the Madison Range. Um, the Gallatins, and you've got the Madison and the Gallatin River. And, you know, of course, up every one of those uh, river drainages, there's a highway to be crossed. And then uh, he took a little trek down into Yellowstone National Park where uh, we have a large population of uh, wild wolves. Apparently didn't find what he liked there or was ran off, um, which is kind of interesting, I think, too, because uh, something we didn't touch on is those packs suffered a, a lot of uh, loss last hunting season and so some of those packs were um, pretty spread out and um, not in their usual places it seems like that would have been a good place to to find some friends but instead he kept on walking and that would have taken him over the Beartooth uh, the Absorca range is just outside of the Paradise Valley um, and then when he got to the Red Lodge area, he would have had to cross the Clark Fork of the Yellowstone to get to the Pryor Mountains, which is a really interesting place because it's uh, managed by three different agencies. You got about uh, 72,000 acres, I think it is, of Forest Service land, uh, another 90-some thousand acres of BLM and the Wild Horse Range, and then another 120,000 acres managed by the National Park Service at the Bighorn Canyon National Recreation Area, and these all kind of combined together on the edge of the Crow Reservation. And it's just kind of this little island mountain range that goes from really dry landscape down below juniper, sagebrush, uh, to the upper elevations about 8,700 feet. So it gets pretty high pretty quick. Lots of deep canyons, uh, really rugged, deep canyons that are thick, uh, lots of caves, good bear country. Um, there's also mountain lions in that uh, area, and I'm sure coyotes. And he was there for 
maybe five to six months that he he hung out and apparently nobody saw him. May have been sighted in the Crow Reservation near Pryor, but uh, nobody else is reporting that they saw or heard this wolf for a good five to six months. So um, you gave a really good description of the Pryor Mountains, but it's not, I mean, it's historic wolf range, but it's not necessarily considered like modern wolf range, right? There isn't a, there aren't wolves that have taken up residence in the Pryor Mountains permanently, have they? Right. That's, that's interesting too, because there's never been a recorded uh, wolf sighting in the area. They've had reports, nothing confirmed, but it seems like it would make sense that they would have ventured over there seeing south so close to Yellowstone and, and the Beartooths. But uh, so far, nobody's, nobody's reported seeing them. And, you know, that could be too, because uh, people are afraid to report sightings if they want the animals to stay alive for fear that somebody might go up there and, and shoot it. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's an amazing place, really, because it is kind of isolated, but yet really close. It's only maybe 40 miles across from the Beartooths to the, the Priors, and they're kind of in that rain shadow of the, the Beartooth Mountains. So that's what produces that really dry lowlands uh, along the Clark Fork River. I'm not sure how detailed um, of GPS data that was provided to you on this, but do we have any idea if this wolf spent any time? I mean, the country that you described that he crossed through and you mentioned, you know, he passed by a lot of wolf, different pack territory. Was there anything in the GPS data to suggest that he spent some time with those packs or did he just cruise right through? Yeah, that's a good question. No, we didn't get that detailed information. So um, that might be an interesting follow-up to see if we could find exactly how long he went and the exact route would be a fun map to look at too, just to see uh, what areas he crossed, what paths he chose, how he got across the rivers. Did he take a bridge? Did he swim? Um, All that stuff just seems really uh, interesting to me about where they trek, uh, obviously they're incredible walkers, you know, to be able to travel that far and, and to survive too. You know, he had to, he had to find meals all along the way. It's not like he was carrying a backpack. Yeah. It's just curious to me. I mean, it's just kind of fun to speculate, you know, um, you know, as, as this wolf moved through other wolf's territory, other packs territory, you know, do they avoid those packs? Do they try to, you know, slink around the edges and get get through? Or, you know, are they treated as kind of a wayward traveler with some of these other wolves that they might pass by? Um, anyway, where, who was, who collared the wolf? Which, what agency was, was monitoring um, this wolf? Yeah, it was the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks that had captured and collared it and um, we do have information, you know, from wolf studies in Yellowstone that uh, these individuals can come in and successfully hang out with other packs, you know. Uh, but there's also, from those studies in Yellowstone, you see a lot of uh, interwolf rivalry, rivalry, a lot of uh, packs killing wolves from other packs. I mean, it can be pretty dangerous. Uh, it's always fascinated me that... Uh, what's the difference between one they decide to kill and, and one that they, uh, 
adopt into their pack, you know, that um, whether it's they need a certain type of wolf, I don't know, it's, or how big the pack is maybe. Uh, it all depends. Yeah, it's it's really curious the the how social of a creature wolves are um, and how that leads to, you know, lifelong bonds between some pack mates and how, like you said, what what drives them to decide that this wolf um, isn't allowed in the pack or, you know, isn't brought into that, that social group and even sometimes killed as a result of, you know, not being accepted. Um, and so this wolf made a huge trek across Southern Montana and wound up in the prior mountains where, um, like we've addressed there, there isn't necessarily like an established wolf population there. Um, can you tell us where this wolf story came to an end? Um, you know, what, what kind of the framework was for understanding why this wolf met its demise? Yeah, that was uh, how I heard about the wolf was I saw a news story that a wolf had been shot uh, for wildlife or for livestock depredation in the Crooked Creek area, which is pretty close to Lovell, Wyoming. It's just uh, outside the BLM land in the Wild Horse Range, um, pretty low down on the Prior Mountains and close to the Bighorn Canyon. And apparently it had uh, killed a couple of goats and a lamb. The landowners called um, Wildlife Services, and they flew up there and, and found the wolf apparently in the act of killing one of the livestock and uh, killed it and took the collar and gave it back to FWP. And so uh, once I found out that it had that GPS collar, it really sparked my interest about uh, where it had come from and how it had gotten there. So um, that's what led to this story was otherwise, if it hadn't been collared, um, we probably wouldn't have known anything about how far it had traveled and where it had been. So, Brett, um, before we wrap up, just kind of speaking generally, you know, you talk about how this, this you know, ironically, the fact that this um, wolf had a collar and was, um, you know, killed because of this depredation situation is really the only reason we get this story to begin with. And so can you speak generally about, um, you know, and we've talked on this show before about um, what biologists are doing with GPS collars, but, you know, speak generally about what GPS collars do for not only wildlife managers, but also the public in, in understanding the lives of these wildlife that, you know, we can't just sit and observe all the time. Yeah, I think it's really expanded our understanding of how far they can go, where they go, what times of the year they go to different places, and given us uh, just a wealth of information and insight into how they can travel across the landscape. And I remember doing a story years ago about a grizzly bear that was captured along the Beartooth front for getting into cattle and relocated hundreds of miles away. And the female um, found her way back uh, to where she had grown up, just navigating across the the absorcas and the Beartooths, which just seems incredible that you could you know, you picked you or me up and transported us in a trailer someplace we'd never been before and let us lose. We'd be able to find our way back. It's just incredible the the instinct they have to 
to travel back to places or to wander to new places like this one did. And um, I think it also shows, too, what a harsh winter we're having this year. Um, I just uh, read a report from Wyoming Game and Fish about uh, wildlife uh, deaths down there due to starvation. A lot of young um, deer are dying, fawns, young of the year, and pronghorns uh, because, uh, you know, there's such, it's been such a heavy winter for so long, starting as early as November, you know, sub-zero temperatures, heavy snow, that freeze-thaw cycle that locks everything under ice. Um, so you kind of wonder, would the wolf had made it through this winter if uh, things hadn't been so terrible up in the priors, you know, maybe he could have survived without resorting to somebody's goats or lambs to try and make it through the, the last part of the winter. Hmm. Interesting. Well, no, and uh, Brett, the answer to your question is no, we would not find our way home. Certainly not without some <laughs> GPS or our phone, <laughs> no. that's for sure. Yeah, we'd have fun walking around, though. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Brett. All right, thanks. Montana Untamed is a podcast from the newsrooms of Lee Enterprises' Montana newspapers. Visit any of our websites or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.